Apple reportedly in talks to buy Intel's 5G modem business for $1 billion. Of course, that had to be the top star. That's a big deal. You might just be a person, you like your smartphone, you like what it does for you, but there's a lot, you know, in the back end, handshakes, conversations, in this case, lawsuits, legal battles that lead to these bizarre and expanding and interesting landscapes in which your smartphone is eventually delivered to you via that landscape. This is significant because it's the baseline of it, the origin of this potential purchase. I guess it's not official yet, but this potential first purchase is beef. The origin is beef. Beef between Apple and Qualcomm. We're going to have to take a little step back here, but Qualcomm, I mean, they're they're you hear you hear about them no matter which smartphone you're talking about for the most part. And they are behind, they are the engine behind the smartphone universe through these licensing agreements that allow all these various manufacturers to use their components in their smartphones, particularly in 5G category. Uh, and, and, and of course, Apple presumably moving into, the, into 5G fairly soon. And so because they're so dominant and they hold, uh, they hold these licensing agreements and they, they kind of, according to Apple, almost hold these companies, companies like Apple, the smartphone manufacturers, hostage to use their equipment and nothing else. Uh, Apple Apple had had an ongoing lawsuit with them, which was recently surprisingly settled. Now the lawsuit stated that this was Apple's complaint that Qualcomm was using its position in the marketplace to charge exorbitant prices because they had sort of, I mean, they didn't use the terminology monopolize, but they sort of the technology they own is necessary for a competitive smartphone product in 2019, and so. Uh, Qualcomm takes Apple to court over a bunch of money. Apple says, no, thank you. You should charge us a fair price. We're a big customer. This is unfair, whatever. They settle and they sign a new long-term agreement. All the while, Apple rapidly trying to figure out their own technologies to potentially in the future not be so reliant on a company like Qualcomm, but not getting to that point fast enough, obviously, and, in, and, and therefore signing this this contract extension. Well, that's what leads us to this right here. Intel at that point, who thought they had an avenue, they thought they had a path towards success in the 5G modem department for smartphones for the future of smartphones, where they thought they could possibly have Apple as a customer because of the ongoing beef between Apple and Qualcomm. Intel says, you guys shook hands. You guys made up. The lawsuit is over. We don't see a path for ourselves now because we can't crack into this thing. This is difficult. Qualcomm's doing such a good job. They've got all these customers already. We thought Apple could be our customer that could put us over the top and make the whole thing worthwhile. Well, when they settled and shook hands, Intel was like, you know what? We're out. That's how big of a lead Qualcomm has in this department. They're like, we're out. That's Intel saying, we're out. And at that point, they started to look for a potential buyer. Well, who can buy? Who can buy Intel's modem business? Now, keep in mind, this isn't Intel. You're not buying Intel. But even Intel's modem business is substantial. You're talking about, you're talking about heavy-duty engineers, patents, a huge library of patents. And really, the only other company poised to even make a play in this department immediately because designing and developing these technologies takes time. So they say, hey, we're looking for a buyer. 
and Apple, who supposedly squashed their beef with Qualcomm, they turn up as the top bidder, the potential top bidder. This makes a lot of sense. The beef is not over, Willie Do. The beef ain't done cooked. Mm. <laughs> I didn't think I would ever have a moment to say something like that. You're waiting for that? Over here. And I'm not even sure, you know, as it came out, I was like, wow, I really get a chance to say that. That feels good. It feels good to be able to, you know. Get out of your system. Just say something like that. Just get it out there, you know. The beef ain't fully cooked, Willie Do. That's some hip-hop stuff right there, you understand? Sure. The beef ain't fully cooked. For your OG. Yeah! So anyway, it's always there. It's still simmering under the radar. And increasingly, we've talked so much about the Huawei situation being, you know, Huawei being reliant on all these various technology companies and patents and so on, licensing deals. It's obvious that these tech companies want to own more of their own tech. Apple did this in many ways with their own chips, with their uh, A-series processors and, and, and all this. And there's even talks that they're looking to move further away from Intel in the laptop uh, environment where you might see an ARM-based Apple laptop at some point. So this is increasingly happening, this consolidation in, in the tech world. And if Apple goes out and buys this thing, starts to work on their own 5G technology, they can they can be, be in far more control over the cost of this uh, of these technologies and not just be on the hook for these licensing deals that other manufacturers have with Qualcomm and therefore they they could potentially increase their profits or develop products that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to develop. It doesn't change the fact that Qualcomm is still they're the gangster in this. Well, we tested it previously on various uh, devices that would be the same device have different modems i don't know if you remember that video we shot upstairs right. and qualcomm was still crushing mm -hmm. in this department and presumably they'll continue to do so they're not just going to close up shop if apple goes ahead and buys this this aspect of intel they're going to keep doing what they're doing and, and, and if, as i just mentioned they do now have a new deal with apple also so they're going to be okay but in the meantime it does look like apple is trying to to get more control back internally to own more of this technology and, and Intel, on the other hand, they, they, they're going to catch a billion dollars, but then they're out of it. And then where do they go? Because it seems like increasingly they're being left out of this futuristic progression towards strictly mobile processing. If all of a sudden they don't have a play because they give up their 5G modem department, which is like one of the few, you know, futuristic, let's say, components of their company. I'm not saying we're anywhere near like these things. We still got it. I'm not saying that yet. But I'm just saying, you're giving up a major play. You're trading tomorrow for today. You see that, Willie Do? That's like sports. You get the prospect. You trade the tried and tested. You, you, you trade the veteran for the prospect. You get a little bit less, less back. It's a risk-reward situation here. How do you feel about $1 billion? Like... Buying it for one billion. Do you think it's uh Is that a lot or a little? Yeah. Oh, for Apple, you know, it's a hundred dollar bill for Apple. It ain't yeah. it ain't a thing. It ain't nothing. But it's still a billion dollars, Will. <laughs> yeah. You understand there's only so it many is. things that are bought and sold for a billion dollars. It's still big. It's only the chip business. And it it also indicates just how hard this marketplace is to compete, how fast it moves type of stuff Qualcomm's doing, you got to appreciate. If Intel's like, man, we can't, we're out. Intel, 
It's like we're out. Right. That's big time. That's a big deal. And so they may be looking for a rescue. You got to remember, Will, they asked. They started looking for a buyer. It ain't like this came out of nowhere. You read through the articles. They were ready to throw in the towel on this uh, particular this particular business. That's what Qualcomm's been up to. So anyhow, Apple taking back more control. Qualcomm probably wouldn't like this all that much, but I'm not sure they care that much at this particular point. They got their new deal for the time being. Uh, but nonetheless, an indication that making 5G modems is hard. We already knew it, but maybe even harder than we originally thought because Intel was prepared to back out of it and looking for a buyer. Now, speaking of difficult businesses, the smartphone business, a difficult business at the moment, more difficult than it has been previously. And an indicator here for me is some recent data regarding the iPhone XR representing nearly half of recent U.S. iPhone purchases ahead of the iPhone 11 launch. We have some, some pretty cool data from a company called CIRP. They released a new report with estimates for how well each iPhone model sold during Apple's Q3. In addition to the iPhone XR being the most popular phone, uh, they also, in their survey, looked at how frequently or commonly Apple users were engaging with Apple's various services. The iPhone XR represented 48% of Apple's smartphone sales in that particular quarter, which is massive considering it's like it's a non-flagship, right? It's a non-flagship de device. You can see it represented in this graph that Will's showing off. You have like the 10s Max, for example. I mean, it, it sold almost 10x. 10x the 10s Max. How about that? Mm. And the 10s, about the same as the 10s Max. You combine the two, you're still barely at a quarter of what they sold in, in iPhone XR department. Of course, this graph also includes older generation iPhone models. People, believe it or not, are still buying iPhone 8s and 8 Plus. And somehow, they're buying as many 8s. They're buying more 8s than they are 10s, 10s's. Like, that's, that's kind of crazy to begin with as well. You know what this tells me, Will? For all the features and uh, amazing things happening in smartphone, OLED displays, uh, performance improvements, camera improvements, the extra camera modules. If the price ain't right, Will, it's price right now that to me seems to be the driving force for people. Was the 10R too good for the price or was it just that people viewed the 10R too, too much like the 10S and they just couldn't see the reason for the extra? I can see the difference between an OLED display and a traditional LCD display, but maybe the average customer can't, it turns out. I mean, look at this. Did they look at both in the store? Or did they just say, I need a new iPhone, and they went on the website, and they just, like, oh, that one looks the same? Fine. Like, does this say more about an iPhone user? And I don't think an iPhone user is necessarily spec chasing, and I think that's kind of what Apple's worried about as far as getting into the competitive mid-range or even lower end of the market. iPhone users, I believe they understand the idea of a newer model, the difference between an 8 and a 10. But beyond that, are they really sensing or feeling the differentiation between that premium one or the R model? Or are they just saying, I need a new iPhone, and they're just seeing the cheaper price? Well, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'll take That's a new one, too. I'll take that one. There wasn't a big jump between the 10 and the 10S, right? You mean in terms of features? Yeah. Uh, well, you had, uh, you had a camera. camera a little bit of a spec bump. Yeah, you had, you had a spec bump. But they looked... Pretty much the same. They look the same, absolutely. To a customer, yeah, they look yeah. the same. They look the same, absolutely. It's faster, mm -hmm. you know, spec bump. You're right. This 10R situation, though, I think is really interesting data because 
you believed, at least the word on the street was that the, the, the Apple, the iPhone users are strictly a premium user. They got all the money in the world. $1,000 smartphone, Apple can do it. You see a stat like this and you start to realize maybe they're not, yeah, there's a lot of brand recognition, brand value, but people appear to, it appears based on this data that they got the same value out of having that logo on a lesser spec, that that was okay, that that still signaled premium enough to them. And this is why I think it's dangerous for Apple. If they go down that food chain to try to attract, say, an Android buyer who's in a much more competitive marketplace with way more things to choose from, do they take their current core customer and just turn them all into mid-range buyers and leave all that profit margin on the table by offering up something more competitive? I think the 10R seems to indicate that. I do think they have to continue to move in that direction, but they got to be careful about doing it from a business perspective to to protect those profits, profits associated with the flagship stuff, which is what they used to sell at the same clip as this R model. Mm -hmm. See, if you go back prior to that period, you can see the 8 Plus was the number one selling device June of 2018 compared to June of 2019. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, it outsold, it outsold at the time the 10, but at that moment, you only had those two really to choose from. And the 10 at that time occupied a bigger range than say the 10s now in the same time period a year later so things have happened in the marketplace there's so many variables and factors that come into play when, when you think about customer decisions there's the macroeconomic stuff do people have as much disposable income are they starting to pinch back then we get into the feature talk like i said can you tell the difference between these specs and is it worthwhile ultimately at the end given all those factors combined together turns out the 10r hit the nail on the head for them but what did they leave on the table if they don't launch the 10r are all those buyers prepared to just spend a little extra on the right. other one if they didn't have the 10r option maybe maybe a few less who knows now also keep in mind they had the, the real marketing push around that 10r you go on the web page you'd be like you could have a 10r for like 200 bucks if you trade in your old phone like they were really trying mm -hmm. to move 10rs Leftover LCD panels, who knows? Yeah, liquid retina. It's liquid like just retina. a regular saying of like LCD. No, 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 Liquid. Yeah. Liquid retina. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that sound high tech? Liquid. Yeah, I'm sold. You understand? Buy one right now. Yeah. So do you think the 10R, um, Apple's going to experiment on other versions of the 10R in the future? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're going like to have another R version this time around and they're going to sell it again. And they're yeah. going to continue to chip away at the, the premium stuff yeah. because you just people don't have two iPhones. They have one iPhone. Mm -hmm. And Apple only launched a premium one previously. Of course, uh, the iPhone 6, 7, 8, there wasn't, there was no budget model. Even yeah. 10, when the 10 came out, just get the 10 or nothing at all. So anyway, there's a, another cool part of this particular survey, which looks at Apple services. Uh, they determined that 35% of iPhone users were signed up for Apple Music. That's kind of a big number, I guess. 48% uh, were on a paid iCloud plan, which that makes the most sense to me because they really push it from the jump, try to get your stuff in the cloud and say, hey, you're going to store your photos. It's just all so integrated and easy. Uh, Apple Care, not very popular, around 3.6% of users. I guess that whole, like, I guess the whole warranty thing, not what it used to be. People just trust these devices are going to, gonna work uh apple news 
I think I don't think that met people's expectations. Fifteen percent of Apple users are using Apple News and Apple TV, and Apple Podcasts were were around thirty percent. That makes sense to me too. They were the OGs in the space, but Apple Podcasts is not paid. So of these services, the only paid one being iCloud, even the Apple News one, I'm not really sure. Do they, are they using the paid version? No, they're probably using the free version. So anyhow, you get an iPhone, you use iPhone services. Apple services, not such a surprise there, but iPhone XR, to me, key indicator, people are more cost sensitive now than they used to be, and they're, they're, they're selecting for their cost sensitivity, not necessarily all the features. It's a value. It's a package deal they're looking at. Uh, we got to do our, our quick Huawei update, obviously, very important. Uh, we got some news in relationship to North Korea, Well. It's been we never we I don't think we ever talked about North Korea on, on here before, mm. but it was only a matter of time. In fact, oh, we did. We talked about the handshake. Did we uh, talked about the Trump detour, the Trump detour to North Korea. We might have talked about. Uh, so apparently, we got some new emerging details about Huawei's interaction uh, relationship with North Korea, uh, supposedly responsible for implementing certain technologies in North Korea responsible for installing networks in North Korea, communications in North Korea. Uh, it's a report via the Washington Post that Huawei has worked on multiple projects in North Korea over the last eight years, and there's some internal documents floating around, apparently posted by a former Huawei employee, that show that Huawei was invested in building and maintaining wireless network equipment in North Korea, and that they even had like code names to try to avoid scrutiny for having these relationships and these ongoing uh, within these documents. Apparently, North Korea was referred to as A9. A9, Will. Code name. A9. Hey, Will, you doing any work in A9 later this week? All the time. Yeah. See, that's how I, whenever, I, if I look at Will's emails, you know, I go in, I take a glance at the emails over there. So A9 is popping up all over, the, all over the place. I'm like, hey, Will, how's that edit going? He's like, uh, uh, it's, going, it's going well. I look over at the screen. It's a giant A9, 140 font size. Just A9. It's like, yes, I'll be there. Yeah. He starts talking like a robot. I'm like, wait a second. Send oh. over the helicopter. I'm like, what's wrong with Will right now? To see giant A9s in his... I don't... What are we talking about? I got a tattoo. A9. Anyway, apparently, Huawei used... A similar code in those similar same internal documents whenever they refer to Iran or Syria. Now, Iran is interesting because that's that's the country Huawei was dealing with, presumably, allegedly, that brought the beef to Canada when uh what was her name got arrested? The daughter of was he the daughter of the C she was the daughter of the CEO? Uh what was her name? Meng. Meng Zhen, Meng Wanzhou, Meng Wanzhou, my daughter. Yeah, Huawei CEO's daughter. I think she's still detained to a certain extent. She's on house arrest in Vancouver right now because of that, that specific departure from the agreed upon trade sanction yep. against Iran. That's apparently uh, what led to that. So this is another example of this where you can't really figure out how bad it is you're like i don't know it, it, you would have to then project what you think these states would be doing with this technology so for example it's like 
if Google was to say, hey, you know, we really feel it's important for the North Korean people to have access to the Internet. So we're going to float a hot air balloon abl above North Korea so people could connect to free Wi-Fi and see what the world's about. Okay, that would be one news story. It'd be a feel good. Like, they're trying to rescue North Korea. If Huawei goes in and they're like, yeah, we're going to put a bunch of towers in there so these people have cell phones. Aaron's like, are you? That's sneaky. Yeah, Aaron's like, Aaron, it's different, right? Aaron's like, is that what you're doing? Or espionage yeah. heavy hitters. Are you uh, shaking hands on a different level? Are, are, are we at the, is it the briefcase in the back of the Mercedes Benz? You know the one he's, they're running alongside. You know the one. Well, why do they have to call? Well, like, you know the one. Bring yeah. it up with the bodyguards running beside the Mercedes Benz. You know the one. It's very important. It's very, I apologize for the interruption there. It's a very important part of the, uh, the equation here. There it is, Will. You got it. 12 bodyguards in the middle there. You see? This is how you travel. You need to travel like this, Willie Do. Oh. You understand? <laughs> you got to travel like he travels. It's very important for your own protection. You, you got a big profile right now. We got volume. What do we got going on? We got sacks. Can you turn down the volume? I don't have the remote. <laughs> All right, hold on. No, can't you just hit your own volume? Won't that work? No, no I... The it's so complicated anyway. No. This is my Next fault. Step. This is my detour right now. I promise it's worth it. At least Good if you're part. watching the video, it's so worth it. Here is the stretch <laughs> Mercedes limo. There's a dozen dudes. I mean, no, the dude in the front right, he's jacked too. Look at the chest on that man. But he can still move. All wearing suits. Yeah, but yeah, they, exactly. Super hot. Suited up. They don't feel the heat, these guys. Yeah. They're trained not to feel the heat. They all got fresh haircuts. You understand? So you know they're tip-top, and they stand around, they guard it. It's unbelievable. What you going to do? And then you emerge like that, Willie, dude. That's you. You understand? You go to your destination, you emerge like that. I was actually in the, the vehicle. Yeah, you were just, you stayed in. A9 talk. Yeah, you were having an A9 talk. Well said, Willie, dude. So anyway, point being is this videos like this, they scare people. People go, man, that guy, I don't know. He's powerful. He's got people. Look, he's got the stretch limo. What are we going to do? Got the 12 security guys. So then you hear a story like this, and you're like, well, wait a second. China's working. Huawei's working with these guys. What does that mean? Similar to the Iran story. So it gets that twist on it. You see the code names as well, and you realize they know they're not supposed to be doing what they're doing. If you got a code name in the paperwork, mm -hmm. and I haven't seen the paperwork, but if you got a code name in the paperwork, it kind of indicates you know it's a bit murky. You know the waters are murky at least. Yep. So anyhow... These documents emerge, and the problem with that is it applies more pressure now to the regulators in the U.S. They take a look at these documents. They say, see, I told you, told you so. Trump, you got, you better amp up this ban because, like, look what's going on. You have your own trade rules and embargoes and various things with countries like North Korea, Syria, and Iran. And, of course, countries, nations, they come together. They, they determine and decide on these sanctions in order to, to act as a punitive measure to try to get these types of states to comply with international standards. That's how these sanctions work. And if there are ways around the sanctions, guess what? It ain't a sanction, Will. Mm. You see how that goes? That ain't a sanction at all. You still get what you want. Mm -hmm. You know? That's like the pa a parent says, go to your room. And the kid's like, my room? I got video games. I got Cheetos. That's a punishment. See you later, Mom. Mm. Go to my room. Ha! So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Trump goes, Sanction. 
North Korea doesn't get our technologies. And Huawei's like, what do you mean they don't? 5G. North Korea got 5G. We don't have 5G yet. You see that? I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. But that's how it goes. Anyhow, it's causing another, it's a whole nother beef storm. And uh, we got to see how it all maps out. But it, it, look, I'm not surprised. I got to be honest. I'm not surprised. For me, as much as everyone wants to ratchet up the espionage dial, for me, this is like kind of an, almost like an ethic of the company. Like they want to do business, maximum business, business everywhere. I've been to China. It's man, business is popping up out of every. Will, do you agree with me? Yeah. Business is just emerging out of every. Yeah. You're just walking down the street. Business, business, business. It's oh, yeah. entrepreneurial. So I get the sense that, that companies, especially at the scale of Huawei, they don't want to be told by any government, here's how you can and can't do business. They don't, they don't work like that, man. They're just mm. bursting at the seams to like, you need something, we got it. What, you need me to write A9 to make a deal? Psh, A9 all day. So I don't know. You could read into it. You could go the espionage route. It's up to you. There's a lot of information available. For me, what what you, what we have right now is that they they're they're interacting and they're interacting in some sort of a business relationship. And now there's gonna have to be a whole new evaluation that takes place based on that. We have some more detailed specs on Galaxy Note and Note 10 Plus. Uh, we talked a little bit about the specs. Of course, we saw the renders. Of course, we saw the whole punch. The center of the display, different from the S-series stuff. Looks cool. Going to be a powerhouse. We now have, like, dedicated specs, including some interesting ones in relationship to the front camera. Apparently, a reliable source, we'll see if that's the case, states that that front-facing camera is going to be the first front-facing camera to have a night mode, Will. So your selfies get the night mode treatment. Mm. So that's kind of, I don't know if that's exciting to you or not. I guess it could be. Night mode is amazing. Obviously, on the rear cameras, people take a lot of photos themselves, their loved ones. You get a little night mode on the front one. Of course, there's other stuff. Apparently, the uh, S Pen is going to pick up a couple of new tricks. Rounding out the specs for the two different models, you're going to have the Note 10 regular at 6.8 inches AMOLED. And then the Note 10 Plus at 6.3 inches. Is that right? Or should those be swapped? That should be swapped. That should be swapped, yeah. obviously. Snapdragon 855, obviously. 8 gigs of RAM or 12 gigs of RAM. 256 storage. Uh, battery life will be obviously different for the 10 and 10 Plus. The 10 is going to be between 3,400 and 3,500 milliamp hours. Not, not that impressive. Um, and then the Plus will be 4,300 to 4,500. Bit more impressive. The little guy at 5.9 ounces. The big guy at 6.98 ounces. Now, again, this is still, you know, it's still a leak. It's a rumor at this point, but it's supposedly a reliable one. The S Pen is going to grip a, a couple of other features here. The ability to switch between photos without touching the screen in an air command style gesture. And also, how about this one for you, Will? How about this little quirky little one? It's going to have the ability to mimic the sound of a highlighter pen when you're taking notes. Oh, that's a, that's a seller right there. You like that, don't you? <laughs> that's an a ASMR moment. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Kirk knows about it. That's all he watches all day. I come in here. It's unbelievable, this guy. Highlighters all over his desk. <laughs> Highlighters all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Kirk, they're not edible, okay? I know the green colors, tantalizing. 
Looks like, yeah, it looks like a green apple or maybe a lime. How about that? You never know. You get a green candy. You never know. Is it green apple or is it lime? You'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. All the kids in school. That's why we're all messed up these days. We were all smelling the magic markers. They even call them magic markers. I mean, it's all scary when you think about it. I guess the other colors would be yellow. You get a rare banana, usually a lemon. You see this, Will? Mm -hmm. You got to brush up on that stuff. Anyhow, no 10, no 10 plus. Very exciting. You know what's crazy? I just recently shot a video upstairs. Well, you were there, so it's not crazy to you. Yeah. On the ROG Phone 2. The thing has a 6,000 milliamp hour battery. At least that's what you tell me. And now I can't even like look at other phones. Like this says 4,500 milliamp hour battery. And I'm like, eh. Because it just changes things now. Even 5,000 doesn't sound crazy when you look at that 6,000. If what Will's telling me is true, and you never know with a guy like Willie do. He's got the bodyguards to back him up. He can say whatever he wants. But anyhow, I have to judge things now through the lens of this 6,000 milliamp hour phone with like a decent form factor, good screen size, OLED display, 120 hertz. I got I to gotta adjust. I'm making adjustments mentally at the moment. You remember the uh, bone conduction headphones? So recently I did this video on the Bose frames which weren't bone conduction, but they got me thinking about bone conduction headphones, which I did a video on a while ago from a company called Aftershocks. Those, for me, are, are a, a better alternative to headphones than the Bose sunglasses are because they provided some low end, at least. The Bose sunglasses, on the other hand, were just tiny little speakers over your ears. These ones, they rumble a little bit. They actually physically vibrate. Well, at the time, I was like, these could be a really cool option for people who need to maintain their hearing but also want to listen to something and want a little thump, still want to get pumped up. You never know. Athletes, joggers, bike. They're not called bikers. They're called cyclists. Mm -hmm. Lance Armstrong types. Mm. Before the scandal. Yeah. With the tight clothes. You know what I'm talking about. A lot of spandex. Aerodynamic. Yeah. You, can't, you can't even see them. Just floating. They're floating through the air. The bike is like feather feather light. This the guy I'm talking about. Yeah. Somebody over here. This the guy I'm talking about right there. You can't even see him. That's how fast he's moving through the air. Just So anyhow, uh, I thought they were cool. Well, it turns out they're not giving up. They're not done. I was criticizing the Bose sunglass ones, or I wasn't criticizing. I was just saying, look, they're not the same thing. They serve a different purpose, but it got me thinking about the aftershocks. Well, here, uh, lo and behold, they sent me an email. We want to send you the new set. And now I'm checking it out over here. Engadget's writing an article. They're called the Aeropex. And, and they improved on the previous design in a number of categories. Now I'm, I'm actually pumped to check them out and see what they're about. They've got uh, magnetic charging contraption, which is a must. They have a degree of, uh, uh, what, what do you call it, water resistance. Mm -hmm. A degree of, uh, of sweat resistance, du just durability in general. Yeah. Like you can see, they have like a rubberized design. They're a little more expensive, 160 bucks supposedly will be the retail there. But according, according to this Engadget reviewer, they have a more refined flavor now. So they don't thump quite like the old ones, but they sound more controlled. Whereas those other ones could really just rattle your brain a little bit. They could kind of skull, what are they called? Skull candy? Was that a mm. headphone brand where they rumbled on your ears? 
they could kind of they kind of rumbled maybe a little too much where you lost the music a little bit. Apparently, they've really dialed it in with this new pair, which has now effectively piqued my interest in trying these out because I do like the idea in general of keeping your hearing about you. Especially, you know, I, I like to do a little work around the house, Will. Did you know that? I like to get outdoors. You know, I tidy things up. Yeah. I, I, I get out, you know, in the grass. I love grass. Mm. Not that grass. I love actual grass. Oh, okay. Like freshly cut grass. Mm. You ever smell freshly cut grass? You understand? Yeah. You get outdoors. You go in the yard. <laughs> Nature. Yeah. You got to get outside, man. I'm, I'm serious, though. I'm, I'm being really serious. So I like to get outside and do things around the house. But, you know, someone's yelling for me. The neighbors uh, honking the horn. There's a one dog on the street. Mm. It's always barking. I need to be aware of certain things when I'm out there. This, I could have the podcast going, not even think about it. And we've looked at different technologies that could achieve this. There was the Bose thing you wear around the neck, which sounded great, but it's kind of big. Yeah. Kind of noticed that you're wearing it. Uh, there's the sunglasses, which kind of lack the low end because it's just a small speaker unit. This might be the one, if this is any good, for those types of excursions. Similar if you ride a bike. Now, I didn't ride a bike to work in a long time. You know, I didn't put the outfit on in a long time. But I might, I still got some time before the, like, the weather's still nice. So, you don't know. Tomorrow, you might see me on a bike. Okay. And if you do, I would like something like this. Because I don't want to be on a bike closed up, you see. And some of those headphones with the microphone throughput, you still, you forget to turn it on or you mm -hmm. just, you lapse. Mm -hmm. This ensures that your ears are available. It's a cool technology. It is expensive for the new version, $159. But I believe they're sending it to me as well. So this can act as a preview because I'm going to try it out for myself. I believe it's on the way. I don't know if I forward you the thing, but uh, I'm interested. 26 grams. Maybe you don't even notice it. Maybe you just have it on. Could be cool. I could wear, you know, you could hide this thing. I could hide this thing under the hockey helmet, Kirk. You don't believe me? Men's league under the hockey helmet. I got pump up tunes. I don't have any. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Facebook warns flaw in Messenger Kids app lets children chat with strangers. <laughs> what are you doing there on Facebook, kids? Oh, just chatting to just chatting to a bunch of old men. Oh, God. Apparently, this particular thing was already drawing the attention of regulators to begin with when it came out. And then the worst fears were realized. Kids have just been chatting to random people because the thing is busted. Mm. And it was supposed to be set up only for their friends. But if it was a friend of a friend, it, it acted as a hack. Yeah. So now friends of a friend, is that's everyone now. Yeah. You see how that goes, Will? Yeah, so, you know, privacy. Who? Yeah. No, Mom, I'm just on Facebook. I promise. It's just, yeah, it's just my own friends. And this other guy, yeah. he's a friend now, too. Oh, cool, kids. That's awesome. Now, Facebook, they say, oh, it's only a couple people that were. We, we patched it. It's just a couple people. But can I just say, does anyone have any faith in Facebook like to do any of this? Do you? If your kid is like, I'm on this new chat, this kid's chat on Facebook. Are you confident? What are you doing as a parent? What are you doing? I'm just on this new friendly chat thing on Facebook. You know, it's just my friends. No, I don't, I don't think so. Well, they sent out a message. At least they uh, fessed up to it. Said they fixed an error. Sent out an, an, a notice to thousands of users, parents, informing them of this design flaw. So they're not saying it was a bug. They're saying it was a design flaw that allowed this to take place. 
which is kind of worse than a bug, to be honest, because it just means you overlooked it or didn't care about it. Uh, Messenger Kids, it launched in 2017. It enables children between 6 and 12 years old to chat with family members. Sure. And a list of friends pre-approved by their parents. But a technical error meant it was possible for them to talk to just about anyone, obviously. Now, they've had concerns, as I mentioned. Regulator's been looking at them. FTC been looking at this particular app since 2018, saying it does not meet the criteria for what a kid's app is supposed to do from a privacy perspective. And you know how this goes, Will. Like, your kids, who, 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 you don't know what they're putting out there, and then you don't know what they're how what they're putting out there is getting put out there by other people. It's, mm-hmm. it's a huge concern when you have people, when you have kids but six years old transmitting information. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one thing to put them on, uh, what is it, uh, Skype or... Um, what is the Apple? Why can't I never remember this? No, the face, 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 FaceTime. FaceTime. They got all their own names for like video yeah. conference. FaceTime. I've used FaceTime R- rarely, but I've used it. If they go on FaceTime, the the parent knows the contact list. The parent knows, like they're not going to be targeted. How is someone going to get a hold of them that they don't know? Like, how's that all going to happen? And and usually, you know, maybe even be the parent's device. They hand it over temporarily, get it back. You open this thing up, you install a Facebook Kids Messenger on your child's iPad. Are you mo- are you able to monitor it 24-7? I mean, you hear something like right. this. It's it's obvious that, that that there's a problem there. And I would be skeptical. I would just this would be my message. I would be skeptical of all these apps to begin with. Yeah. Even the apps that are supposedly vetted, like YouTube Kids, eh, gets a bit wacky. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not exclusive to Facebook. You almost feel like with some of these apps. They, there's like, could be less attention to detail at first because they're like, well, what are the kids going to say? You know, are they, they going to know what's, that it's all messy in there, that it's all screwed up? And I know there's been improvements on the YouTube Kids app, but I'm still not even happy with the YouTube Kids app. I'll be honest with you right now. If I, if I launch that thing, if, if I see my kids launch it, they, they don't even launch it. But if I see them launch it and I'm like, this is what's being suggested. They see Pulp Fiction. Like, there's no sign-in. Nobody signed in. No, I'm not saying it's Pulp Fiction, but it's like just the type of content that surfaces is, whoa. Really? It's just nothing content. It's just like just brain dead. Mm. You remember like Nickelodeon minus a thousand? Like, if you just kept diving down that dark vortex, black hole, where, where do you end up? Like slime and it's just nothing. Brain dead content. Yeah. So I think, I don't know what they can do to work on that, but I know uh, in my particular situation, if I see the kids boot into that, I'm like garbage, garbage, garbage. I'm like, what are you doing with your life? Then you know what I'm like? Get outside. Mm. Get into nature. Well, I don't have to tell them. They know what's up. They're cool. They know what's up. But anyhow, uh, New York pressuring Tesla to open up the supercharger network. So... This is an interesting development, something I had been thinking about. Uh, just the proprietary nature of the Tesla supercharging network. Like, are they, are regulators going to really let them own all these proprietary charging stations? Well, they're going to let them own, own them, but they, but they still have to pull energy from the grid. Mm. And energy in the grid, in many ways, is connected to the entire citizenry. Everybody in some way or another is interacting with that grid, like say in their house or wherever it is that you buy and sell, buy electricity. And so in most 
places, there there's different rates for electricity depending on how much you're using, peak hours. There's like all kinds of rules around it to try to manage energy as a resource, which belongs essentially to everyone in, to, in some way or another, the grid. And so these superchargers suck a ton of juice, Willie do. I promise you, they, they stick a straw right into the grid for real. Apparently, what is it I read here? Yeah, super superchargers have a high peak throughput. 250 kilowatt V3 charger with eight bays can, can draw up to two MW of power. What is that? Milliwatt? I don't know what that is. Megawatt? Megawatt. Megawatt! I never thought there'd be a time where I would get to say megawatt on the channel, but I'm so happy about it. Even, even if that's not what... Anyway, here's the important part. It's 100 times more than the peak power draw of a home. <laughs> it's 100 homes! You put in one Tesla supercharger and its peak throughput is a hundred homes. It's like a community. Like you just built a community mm. from, a, from a demand perspective. So Tesla argued it should not be excluded from, uh, there's this thing called, uh, what is it called? It's called the non-per, oh no, 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 not that. It's called non-where is it basically the way it breaks down because of the peaky power usage demand charges are additional significant charges access to businesses that have exceptionally peaky power usage so companies that demand power to this degree away from the greater good of the community for their own purposes or for their own benefit or for their own profits, those companies pay an extra amount for that on-demand peaky power consumption, which kind of happens to you in your own home to a certain degree if you choose to do laundry during peak hours. Right. It's a different, you pay a different rate than if yep. it's off peak because of how these grids operate. Mm -hmm. Well, anyhow, uh, Tesla had this exemption I guess is in an exemption, or they just say that they shouldn't. That shouldn't apply to them because this is for the, the the uh, greater good of the community or whatever. That and they sell the majority of electric vehicles, and it might not be feasible if they're paying this high rate. It might not be a feasible thing to deliver if all of a sudden the cost of this electricity goes through the roof. So, anyhow, it turns out this this has the potential to turn political. The argument makes more sense if Tesla doesn't have a proprietary connector. If anyone with any brand of car that has an electric motor and battery can pull up there and charge, then all of a sudden that argument makes more sense as to why it should be exempted. But if Tesla solely benefits because their customers want to buy Teslas because they're able to recharge them for free or for this very cheap fee, then it's it's helping their business grow exclusively and not necessarily the entire community. And so that's the argument there. Now, apparently a way around this is Tesla could also install alongside their proprietary chargers the, the generic universal style chargers like ChargePoint or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then their argument changes. But for the time being, it's going to become increasingly political and it could, it could the cost could go up for this type of, whether the cost is assumed by Tesla or if they pass it back on to the owner mm -hmm. is unknown at this moment. But it turns out that 
that pri that proprietary charge station may be under attack. Mm -hmm. It may have to open up a little bit. It's sucking a lot of juice. It's a straw. They're putting a straw in the grid. Now, I'm sure Elon Musk disagrees with all this. He's probably sitting there going, my straw is nothing. That energy wouldn't be utilized. People are using gasoline. They're using dinosaur juice. I'm trying to give them the other juice. You know, he's they probably got a lot of, it's, it's obviously an argument going on. Starts in New York. Funny enough, those superchargers, I believe, are made in Buffalo. Oh, so okay. in the state where they're providing and employing people, it's kind of interesting how that goes. Anyway, nonetheless, new pressure. Have you ever heard of DoorDash, Willie Do? Something DoorDash? about food? Yeah, food I guess it's, it's like Uber Eats. You know, yeah. they bring you a meal. They uh, deliver a subpar meal to you that used to be good. <laughs> At the, the time it was picked up, it was good. And now... There's spit all over it? Or... It, just, it just isn't what it used to be. Yeah. That should be the motto of all these companies. They deliver you a meal that used to be good. It was good at one point in time. Mm. I don't know. Look, it's, they get it to you. It's still food. Relax. But I'm just saying, it used to be better. You can't argue that. No, it used to be better. You can't argue that. Like, as soon as it came off the grill in the restaurant, it was at peak. It was peak performance. You're getting a yeah. sub-peak. We just talked about peak with the power consumption. This is You're getting off-peak hour. You're getting off-peak mm. food. Mm. Pre-peak. It used it peaked before it got to you. Anyway, I don't like these services. I just go to the restaurant. All right? I live my life. I go out in nature. I go to the restaurant. You understand? I'm not, oh, I don't need another reason to sit on a couch. I got lots of reasons to sit on a couch. Smartphone. Mm -hmm. laptops i go I, I get out there okay yeah. but whatever you might be busy you, you work a hard job you're in the sun i talk about this yeah and you just need a door dash here and there so i don't i understand but anyway they're in the news right now because apparently you tip you tip the door dash guy he doesn't get the tip <laughs> it's a, that's actually his wage apparently and people were outraged about this a while ago but it's resurfacing now because apparently nothing ever happened and it's the same it's the same story over over again and it's kind of as much as i don't use these services i find it be deceptive that you tell the the person that they're tipping the guy mm. and they're not tipping the guy and maybe if they were tipping the guy the service would be diff substantially different because mm. the guy would be like more invested in it than knowing that your tip is just going to pay his regular wage anyways i don't like it like I understand I've traveled to certain places in the world where tipping is less of a thing that goes on, but it's so well understood here in North America mm -hmm. it, that it does matter. It does affect outcomes. If you go to, if you, if you tip well, your experience is different. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying it's, it should be that way. I'm not saying I agree with it, whatever. It could be different where you are, but it does work in places where it is understood in my personal experience. Vegas being a perfect example where tipping you go to, or if you go to a resort in the Caribbean somewhere, mm -hmm. like without tipping, you're dead. You're done. Yep. You're just not even existing. So anyhow, in this case, whether you agree with tipping or not, they're telling you, in fact, their language says specifically 100% they claim dashers keep 100% of customer tips. Now, the way they're able to state that on the app when you make the order is because they have a really low per delivery guaranteed minimum. As low as one dollar mm. it could be one dollar and then an additional three dollars like let's okay here let me just give you this demo this is a demo that gizmodo drummed up let's say a delivery promises a minimum of eight dollars and a customer tips four dollars on the order 
DoorDash applies the $4 tip toward the base pay. We'll pay $1 and then cough up an additional three to make the difference. So the tip goes to the wage first as part of the minimum order fee represented that the DoorDasher gets when the order comes in. So the person thinks they gave a $4 tip when in reality, in this case, what it, what is the tip worth? On $8, $4 went towards the $8. There's no tip. Is there a tip? There's no tip. You tip nothing in that circumstance. Now, They're you, paying for their wage. If you tip $10, there's a $2 tip right. against the minimum. Yeah. But you would need to give a massive tip to actually tip them. Bigger than your order, potentially. It's so bizarre. I don't, I don't really know. But I guess people do give massive tips because your order is not going to be $8. Your order on DoorDash would be like $20, wouldn't it? Yeah. So anyway, maybe it maps out a little differently depending on the size of the order. This is particularly terrible, obviously, on a low order where the tip may be small to begin with. You got to wonder why these people, how much these people are going to care. But the, the real issue is not about the tipping. It's not about the order minimum. It's not about the agreement, actually that the DoorDash employee makes with the company, it's about the deceptive nature in which the company DoorDash communicates with the client, which is you, the buyer, in making it seem like you're tipping 100% of the tips and stay with the person delivering, when in reality, it, it's just some fancy legal language to allow that to take place. So that's deceptive. I don't think it's cool. Uh, I get it. The people who get into this to this job probably understand it very quickly that, hey, this is how it works. You don't have to do it. They have the choice. They don't have to do this job. But on the customer side, to me, it's no argument. If this is the model and this is how it works, a customer should know how that breakdown's going so that they're not like they, there was a similar situation with Uber. Like you never knew what was going on in the early days. They're like no tip necessary. Right. Remember that mm -hmm. early days of Uber? They're like it's worked in. Then the tip thing showed up and you're like, wait a sec, is there tips now? And then drivers would tell you, hey, tips are welcome. Mm. And you'd be like, but the message and even the marketing earlier, I, I feel like I remember was like, no, no, no. The point is for this to be seamless. No tip. You just tap the thing. It's all in one fee. Mm. So they've been playing around with this confusing language for a while. But you can understand where, why it's beneficial to them. If they can get the tips to cover the wages, the margins go yeah. way up. Exactly. So you understand where it goes. But I will say, in defense of DoorDash, not that I'm trying to defend, I still feel it's deceptive. You have these similar models exist in actual physical restaurants where there will be uh, uh, waiters and waitresses will earn lower than minimum wage because of the presumption of the tip coming through. Mm -hmm. And th they allow them to do that because of how substantial tips can be. So for people in countries where tips don't take place, tips can be massive. They can completely overwhelm. You can make way more money right. than a typical server. If you do a good job and you earn a lot of tips, it can overwhelm your entire salary. And so those types of situations exist. So the tip culture, in a way, can be beneficial as well if it's worked out and, and it's well understood where that money's all going. And me as a customer, I want to know right. where it's going, ideally. There's a solution here, though. It's, it's you know, um, They say to just tip them in cash. Oh, yeah. You know, there you go. Simple. But who has cash? Yeah. Yeah. You got to have, you're using DoorDash on the app. Yeah. Do you have cash lying around? Maybe. That's yeah. right. Willie Do gave a good example there, though. You could just tip the DoorDashers. You could tip the Dashers and Cashers. Anyway, Willie Do, I'm in a rush today. Actually, I should probably mention, I'm going to be, oh, you're going to watch this tomorrow, but you can go back and watch because I'm going to be helping out 
for the uh, Blue Jays broadcast, Blue Jays versus Indians today. That's the Cleveland Indians. I'm talking about the MLB baseball game. I'm going to be helping out with the broadcast or at least on the broadcast. I don't know to what extent at the moment, but it's part of this promo where YouTube is streaming for free baseball games, which is kind of cool. Anyone can watch. You just click on it. Like, there's no weird membership, no weird stuff at all. You just go watch. It's free. It's open. Anyway, I'm going to be on that broadcast. You're watching this after it happened, though, because I'll be going there right now tonight. So if you want to go watch the replay, you can. But anyway, that's the reason I'm taking off early. I got to be there for batting practice. How cool is that? Anyhow, Willie do. why don't you hit us with one question? I'm sure you got one. All right. All right. Let's do one. And then I'll boogie. Then then I'll, I'll head down there. I'll hit some dingers. You understand? Okay. So this one's from Aaron. Hey, guys. Aloha from the 50th state. Mm. Now, I know you all are the lower 48th neighbors to the north. Just wondering if you could shed some light on that imperial to metric conversion of a boatload. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Shed uh, some light. Did we determine what the actual boatload quantity was for some reason i always thought it was like a trillion oh a wow trillion. you thought if a boatload boatload was a, a trillion number. yeah now metric and imperial that's measurements that's like centimeters versus inches inches feet feet but in weight it's kilos versus pounds yeah so he's going that direction i think a boatload a literal boat loaded a loaded boat uh. So now you're talking about one of those transport boats, the like ones come from freight boat, come, yeah. come from China to to the shipyard, yeah, and unload all the goods on the containers, which then go into the trains or onto the trucks. Mm. So we could find out how many kilos are on a transport boatload, and therefore convert that kilo number into pounds <laughs> don't you oh there is a there's a definition of boatload <laughs> click on that what this one right here no the top one it's not this one a load that fills a boat no i like that i'm happy with that a boatload is a load that fills a boat oh or an indefinitely large number or amount indefinitely <laughs> that's the way i use it there you go <laughs> so i'm using it the right way the actual the actual defined, clearly defined way. So therefore, actually, there's no answer to his question because I use it the second way, not the load that fills the boat, although that's the direction I was going. Nonetheless, we should still answer the question in the first definition. TEU, what is that? Some sort of volume thing? No, 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 no. We, no, 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 no. Forget about TEUs. We need kilograms oh my god see it's some sort of volume thing teu T 20 feet long eight feet 20 foot equivalent unit it's yeah because all those units are carrying different amounts of weight we need to know how much that thing can hold before it sinks i don't care about volume you don't care about volume no volume no. wouldn't matter to us because so he wants weight? he wants a metric Conversion. We're not getting into volume cubed and. Four hundred thousand tons. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Hit us with that then. Four hundred. Okay. Four hundred thousand tons. Tonnage. Fine. 
400,000 tons conversion. There you go. There you go. Okay, so 400,000 tons is what is that number? How many zeros 36. are there? 36 million? No. No, 362, 362, million. 362 million kilograms is a boatload, according to Kirk, maximum. I don't know if he's right or not, but none of it matters because there are two definitions to boatload, it turns out. Now, I want to, honestly, I probably use it even looser than the actual definition, but the definition says indefinite. So that means I can do what I want. That's my favorite type of word, Willie Do. You know, this show right here is going to keep going indefinitely.